0: This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I will get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend Sean Lake. Co founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So, I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter. That has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. you will get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorne. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week I have a very special episode for you with my good friend Mike Tanzer. Now, Mike and I both served in the same station on the same shift as firefighter paramedics in Orange County, Florida. As you will hear, Mike is very transparent on a number of topics, including his own decline, which found himself in addiction and suicide ideation. We also pull no punches on some of the areas within that department that are contributing to the horrendous mental and physical illnesses amongst our firefighters. So I hope this is taken as constructive criticism, as those men and women are not only working 56-hour weeks, but still under continued mandatories, making it an 80-hour-plus week. Now, before we get to this incredibly powerful and important conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does everything elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Mike Tanzer. Enjoy. So, this is an incredibly unique podcast because not only is my guest today the very first person who I heard the word podcast from. No, really? Yep. It's also the very first podcast I was a guest on Mm. and we were both firefighter medics at Orange County, so in the same station at one point. That's a lifetime ago, man. (laughs) So, Mike, firstly, I want to welcome you. If you were at your home right now, where would people be finding you? Right now? Um... If right
1: These days, I'd be helping my wife uh, or hanging out with the dogs. I, or I'm actually out of the house a lot of times. But geographically, where are you? Where are oh, Stu. I'm sorry. Um, I am in Orlando. I am kind of by UCF. Uh, so I'm living there now and been there for a couple of years. We haven't bought a house yet. We need to. Market's been tough. Anyway, the um, I spend my days working I'm my days off. I feel an always a need to keep active a lot. Like I said, I'll, what I do now is help my wife. She's opened her own law firm, and I'm kind of her helper person who has no idea anything about law, but I just know I want to take care of her and grow her business, so that's what I'm doing now. So yeah, things are great. So thank you for having me. I love being here, and I, we you and I have been circling each other for a long time, yeah. and I'm glad that we're sitting down. We're doing a little home and home. I like this. Yeah, I'm doing yeah. yours. You're doing mine. This is great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. We literally have four microphones
0: set up. My, <laughs> yeah, my two are We're going to slide, over. Gonna slide <laughs> over. So, all right. Well, let's start at the very beginning of your story. I'm not. Sure. I'm super familiar with your earlier years. So, tell yeah. me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how oh, many siblings. This is going to. You said an hour and a half. <laughs> um, that was the old days. That was like six years ago. It was an hour and a half. Now it's more like two.
1: I was born in Salem, Massachusetts, to a single mother. She was nineteen. I was a a mistake, I guess you could say. My biological father, his name was Robert uh, Bobby, was was called. He was a wow. We're gonna go. We're gonna go right in. Let's go. He was a violent uh, alcoholic. He was young. He was stupid. Uh, He was abusive. And thank God that my mom early on re- recognized in her young age, by the way, 19 years old, to realize how dangerous a situation this was, said, We got to get out of this. So we were, her, the last straw for her was um, we lived in a trailer park in St. Petersburg. And this is a long <laughs> way to get there. We lived in Boston, we got down to St. Petersburg, and she found me wandering the trailer park with no clothes on because he got drunk and like went somewhere to the store or something. And she's like, well, that's it. So she found some help and we were able to uh, escape and get out of there. And so my, actually my last name originally was not Tanzer. It was Rogers. I was a whole different entity. And then uh, we were on our own for a while. And then when I was about four or five, we met my dad now, Brad, And then they got married, and then they had my brother in 1992, so I guess technically he's my half-brother, but we're brothers, like we're very, very close. And my dad and I, we we had our issues uh, in the past, but we're good, and my mom and I are extraordinarily close, so we moved from the Boston area, and then we moved back to Florida, we moved to Tampa, went to high school there, played sports. And sort of just a generic white guy, high school dude, played sports, hung out, very innocent, didn't drink, didn't party. And then I went to UCF, completely rudderless. My parents got, though, then they got divorced. And then I was just sort of a mess. Didn't know what to do with my life. I was like delivering pizzas and working at Dunkin' Donuts and didn't have any money. And I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. But I had this nagging thing in the back of my head. And I have no idea where it came from. You could interrogate me. You could hook me up to like electric shock. I would never be able to find out why I had this thing. I was like, I kind of just want to be a firefighter. I don't I, I don't know if I just saw a truck when I was two years old and it just implanted itself into my brain. I don't know. I had this like dreams, But it, it seems so far away. It seems so distant and unattainable. So I just decided that I, f- I kind of failed out of school. I, like, I said, didn't really have a lot going on. So I asked my dad for help, even though they were divorced. And I was like, Hey, can you help me? I want to go to like be a firefighter. I don't know how to do it, but will you help me? He said, sure. So the first thing to do is go to EMT school. That's like the first step. I'm sure you remember your first day of EMT school.
0: Yeah. Well, I was at mid Florida tech. Where were you? <sighs> Valencia. Okay. So in Orlando. Yeah. In Orlando. Yes. It was the same place. To, actually, yeah. What am I saying? It used to be mid Florida tech. Now it's Valencia. Yeah. So.
1: That was back in like, Oh four. Maybe earlier than that. Oh two I can't remember. And I was like, and then that point was like my second month of EMT school where I was like, firefighting was cool, but I fell in love with medicine. I did not expect that. I thought EMT was gonna be like this thing i had to do as like a necessary evil. And then once I got into it, I realized that my ADD nonstop need to figure everything out brain was now entranced with medicine because you can never truly figure it out. It's always, it's a dynamic thing. It's always moving. You can never solve everything. Every person's different. Every disease system is different. It reacts to every person differently. And I got, I was fascinated by that but i knew i still wanted to chase this dream but i wanted to continue to keep the med- medicine thing moving that was churning me a little bit and for the first time i was starting to feel a little bit of direction like something was telling me okay maybe this path is going to be good for me so then i kept going down that path and then i uh worked as an emt for a while in the in the hospital we were just talking about it like being an emt in the hospital is like you just push beds around and you're getting exposed to, you know, the world, of the world of medicine. So I did that, and then being from Boston, I started to get a little bit un- une- uneasy with Florida, and I was having some some personal issues with my with some with some girlfriends and relationship problems, which is stupid in your twenties. But I was like, you know, what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up to Boston. I'm going to move there, and I'm going to go just. Go up there and be a paramedic. I'm going to go be my paramedic up there and just see what happens. Just sort of throw caution to the wind and say, fuck it. But I wanted to go back as an adult and feel Boston again because I feel like it was my home. So I did. I went back, sight unseen. I rented this apartment and then I put myself through paramedic school while I was working as an EMT By the way, that grind, I did. I look back on that. I have no fucking clue how I got through that.
0: Paramedic school while you're working. I was going through a divorce and a single dad as well at the time. That will always be the hardest year of my life, hands down.
1: By far, because I'd work a 24-hour shift as an EMT, sleep, who knows? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Then you go to class,
0: and then sometimes you got to go to clinicals, that night. And our, our here in, in Ocala, it was almost from the get-go so for a year. Yeah. You were doing either in a hospital or riding with a different fire department. Thank God the company that I worked for, the private ambulance
1: company I worked for, was a big, big company. It's called Cataldo. They allowed you to do your clinicals while you're working. So you could like be working and still sort of get checkoffs. Thank God, because we, we couldn't. <laughs> oh my God, I, had, I could merge those two worlds, and I'm like, thank God, because I, I, I slept maybe 15 hours a week. I look back; I'm 43 now. I, I would, I'd be dead. I would be dead. Yeah, there's no possible way. So I thank God for a little bit of youth there. So I was able to do all that, and I did my medic up there, and then uh, <laughs> that's where it, you know that's where all this started, and then. Man, it got, it was great and it was awful and it was powerful and depressing. I went through the entire arc of, of being a medic that first year. I mean, you know, you start to see shit that the human body is not supposed to see. Like a lot of it.
0: My first call as a certified medic was a vehicle versus two pedestrians on OBT and 52's area. Mm -hmm. And I pull on scene and, uh, the LT goes, should we call it? (laughs) I'm like, I just got here. Yeah. And so luckily, and luckily slash unluckily, you know, I start doing, you know, listening to what they've got so far, doing a kind of size up myself and then looking at the monitor and say, sisterly. And then they say, Oh, we think we see brain matter, we found a, a good flashlight yeah. went, like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, um, signs incompatible with life. But you talk about Pucker Factor. You just graduated medic Absolutely. school and that is your very first call. The other person was DOA as well. So it was a tragic call, but yeah, right, you know. that no, I wasn't young young then, but yeah, brand new medic, here you go. Should and they this don't, person they live or die? to the wolves. There's
1: mm-hmm. no buffer. That's the thing too, is I think a lot of people maybe don't know about EMS. Is when you graduate from EMT to medic, that's a very large jump. It's, you know, I'm not, and I know a lot of people who listen to this are educated in the field, but the, as a medic, you have a tremendous amount of responsibility. Now, I'm not discounting EMTs at all, I think that they are the backbone of EMS. They work super hard for a very small amount of money. There's a local company here that pays them like $10 an hour and it's a fucking joke and it's awful. But these people are trying to work hard and do the right thing and they do a great job. But that jump from EMT to medic, it sounds like a dumb comparison, but I always say it's like, you are playing Guitar Hero? It's like going from like the easiest one to the hardest one. It's like there's so many more movements and there's so much, a bigger world of, you know, the medicine and the, you know, just the cardiology part of it and just taking on that load. And, uh, yeah, that was a big challenge for me because you start to be like, I want to be in charge of this scene. I'm yeah. going to be the one who's going to be the medic. And then you get there and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like in your first week, you're like, what What am I doing? It's terrifying. Terrifying. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the thing about Boston was that is no slouch of a city when it comes to EMS.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, so what – what was different in Boston to you know? Obviously, you end up back in in Orlando area. Yeah. What were some of the idiosyncrasies geographically or you know the the culturally there that you didn't see when you came back down here?
1: Um, well, it's super dense, so everyone's on top of each other, and you feel that tension, especially because you're doing a lot of a lot of vi- this man. I wouldn't say was here when I first first got back here. When I first got back to Florida, it was not as violent as it is now. That was many years ago. I'm not trying to play the old man's like back of the day it used to be so <laughs> peaceful, but it's a way more. I think you probably agree with me. It's a lot more violent in Florida now than it maybe was ten years ago.
0: It's weird though because there's not the gang activity that I saw in Anaheim. Anaheim was, oh, we had gang murders all the correct. time. It, yes. was, it was prostitution, you know, stings as far as, mm-hmm. you know, the John getting murdered. It was, you know, dead hookers and, you know, get violence through crime. But mm-hmm. it wasn't, oh, the Crips killed the Bloods tonight like we saw out there. You know what it was? <laughs> you know, that uh, you triggered
1: this response from me was the the violence in Boston was much more personal than here. Like they will go up there and just stab you in the fucking neck and watch you bleed out. It was very, it was very personal, very violent. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've had like kids get killed. You know, I had a guy put a kid in a microwave. It's fucked up. There's just a psychological weird dynamic up there. Here, here, it's like drive-bys, strangers. They shoot a lot of people around here. It doesn't feel as personal. There, it just felt like, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to stab you 75 times.
0: Do you think that there's an element of that coming from the fact that humans are not supposed to be stacked that many deep? That's that's what I was
1: saying with the density, because I think that there's inherently, there's... I think people want space and people want to be able to decompress and when you don't have the decompression, especially in a, in the neighborhoods and the neighborhoods we would go into are not only they dense, but they're very poor. They're very dirty. And there's no way that people feel good about that or feel pride about where they live. And I think that that just causes people to be very frustrated and really on edge. And when they break and they pop, it's, it's not, it's on a level that most people don't see. I think that that was a good thing. And a, Blessing in disguise, because I saw things in my first three years as a medic in Boston that maybe, no, I wouldn't even say, in the remaining years that I did as a medic here, which I don't know how many that was, 10 plus, that three years in Boston sticks with me more. And I know it was probably, it was starting to appeal me early on, but man, some of those calls you know, where I, I remember having that thought a million times. People should not be seeing this. This is unnatural. But you sort of can't stop It's your job. Yeah, they called you. So I got to do a thing. And then that's the first stage. Maybe we should go through the stages because I think you're going to agree with me. On the, hopefully you'll agree with me on the stage. Yeah, stages. please go for it. The first stage of being a medic and you get exposed to this stuff is like, Holy shit. What did I do? What am I doing? I did not sign up for this. This is too much. Cause I can't, you can't just pick and choose your calls. You call, they go, or they call, you go. And that well, first stage until is. Until you just,
0: retire, they call, you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, no, you're going to come back. We need you again. <laughs> but we're going to pay the exact same amount. The, um, that first stage is holy shit. Which is, sounds sadistic, but it's a little exciting. Because especially for me, being someone who is so, I have a sociology degree. What the fuck am I going to do with that? I was like, this is interesting. It's terrifying, but it's interesting.
0: Are you one of these snowflakes that my hard-earned taxpayer's money is going to have to Bail out. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no. When no one's having a discussion of the fact that every student in this country gets raped the moment they walk into a college. It's, I mean that financially, by the way.
1: No, in, in, in multiple ways. But yes. Um, so when I started to feel that holy shit thing, I was, I, was, I was mildly, not mildly, I was excited. But I also sort of knew, like, this can't be sustainable. Maybe I won't do this for a long time. But I was in my home city. I'm in Boston. It's a little bit romantic. And you feel, and this is the part of me that always makes me a little bit nervous about myself, is that how terrifying it was and how completely over my head I felt. I was like, I have to figure out how, how to feel comfortable. How, do, how do, this seems like it's a world away, but how do I get to a point where this doesn't, I don't even feel this? This is just going to be easy for me. That'll never happen, but I like to try. Um, I want to be able to see if I can try to get to a point where this is easy and I can sleep well at night because the first year or two, you're not sleeping well at night and those demons start to kind of start to churn, but you ignore them even though it's the first chapter in your paramedic book, mental health, take care of yourself, blah, 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 and then here's everything else, which I'm sure we'll get into later too. And then that, and then there's a little, I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure if you had a call or two or a week or a month where you go, where things go really well for you and they sort of get their hooks in you. Did you have that experience? Um,
0: I know what you're saying and
1: cause you're maybe on, maybe a little bit on the fence about what. Your next two years gonna look like? You're- I
0: think for me, I was an EMT for a long time because I wanted to be a medic from day one. But I was at Hialeah less than a year, Anaheim, California. I was literally about to go through their next in-house progress a uh, process, and then we had time. We decided mm-hmm. to move back home, came to Orange, and that's where I finally put myself through with zero support
1: because oh, you didn't do the program you no because they own. kept
0: telling me That's it's right. coming it's coming for years right, 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 i ended right, up putting right. myself through and it wouldn't even just give me a tuition idea. reimbursement no, after we'll all that so anyway but um so i think see dealing with the calls themselves by that point i had i think i was at like eight seven or eight years mm-hmm. and so um i don't think there was that so much it was just It was this constant fear of, what if I fuck it up? So I don't think I ever got to the place where I felt comfortable because I was still, you know, I I did, like I said, EMT for nine or so years and then got my medic license. And then I moved from Orange County to Reedy Creek. So there was different kinds of calls. And so everything's new again. So... I felt very comfortable with the, the things we normally run on, but I had a constant fear of some of the traumas of you know, PD calls, mm-hmm. all those sure. things. So I think that fear never allowed me to get comfortable. Even though yeah. I think from the outside looking in, you're like, okay, you seem to have a handle on it. I always had that what if fear that kept me in the protocol books and all that stuff. And you need, and there
1: needs to be a de- de-stigmatization, destigmatization. I don't know what that word is. De-stig- it's that word. We have to destigmatize that it's okay to look vulnerable in this industry. Everyone tries to bow up and try to say, I can handle anything and that's fine. But when it comes to this, the, the being a medic and having the confidence, there is a certain amount of swagger you have to have in order for the people around you to feel comfortable that you're the medic, yeah, that you're the guy. Absolutely. You got to be the big swinging dick in the room and they have to have confidence in you. So there's a little bit of like playing the role of like, hey man, I got it, don't worry about it, we're good, fine. guys are fine. But you're allowed to be. You're allowed to be scared. You're allowed to be nervous. So it was around this time where I was teetering. What am I gonna do? Do I stay? Do I go? And then I had like a week where everything just went amazing. I had. A, I think I had a save. I had a. I just. Had, I don't remember the exact ones. I know I had a save. I know I had something that went really well. Maybe it was like a converted some SVT. Who knows? Just at the time it was like so cool. You know. I was like, okay. All right, you got me. I'll hang around for a little bit. I'll do this for a little while longer. So I spent a total of three years in Boston. The first year was me converting to medics. So I did two, two and a half more years as a medic. And I had slowly graduated my way up. My goal was to get on P1, paramedic one. That was the one in Somerville. That's the city I lived in. That's the truck that I wanted. And I wanted the Tuesday, Thursday shifts. And I wanted to be the big baller on that truck. And it took me until the last six months that I was able to be the big baller on that truck. And I got P1. And I was like, all right. And then this is where my, now I start to seep into my personal life. You know, I'm I'm the guy now. I'm confident. I'm feeling good. And then here comes stage two. I'm invincible. I'm bulletproof. I'm the dude. I was known. I'm a big personality. I'm talking to everyone. I'm schmoozing. We're going out drinking every weekend. Everything's great. This is the most dangerous level by far. It's not even close because this is where you allow yourself to feel like you have it figured out and you fucking don't because I'm only in my third or fourth year of doing this. I am a baby in this industry. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go down to Florida. I know that they're going to start hiring paramedics. I'm going to go into the fire department. I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the next level. I'm ready. was not ready, but I pretended like I was ready. So I moved back down here. I went through the process with Orange County. We are allowed to say Orange County? Yeah, because
0: fuck we it. don't work there anymore. Yeah, fuck
1: it. <laughs> fuck them. They're awful. <laughs> <laughs> so I went through the first round of Orange County. I was on the last cut. I got cut. Went through a little bit. I was a little depressed, but I, they said, hey, come back around again in six months. So I went back around again in six months and I got hired. So for those that don't know, the county we used to work at they used to hire people who are just paramedics to the fire department. And they said, within three years of you being employed here, you had to become a firefighter.
0: Yeah, they made it very clear that you knew your place because it was PMO, wasn't it? PMO, paramedic PMO only. Only. Let's not <laughs> kid ourselves. You are not a firefighter. Yeah,
1: you're a piece of shit
0: paramedic, <laughs> which is basically
1: how they framed it. They even give you a different color of, um, bunker gear is all blue, crazy blue. But I was like, I was like, yeah, hey, I'm in. I'm in the fire department. It's going to be great. But they did. There was definitely a hierarchy. Like you were, you are a PMO. Like, and I went to fifty one.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is, so that was, and for people listening, that was the the high volume times, wasn't it? So usually it was what ten to ten or nine. to Yeah, 9. so you
1: weren't working the standard shift as as a fireman. You were working um, three days a week. Either nine a.m. to nine p.m. or ten a.m. to ten p.m. Depending on which truck you're on, and then you get to go home, which also made you look like a pussy because you didn't have to stay at the station.
0: Well, because you were a pussy as well. Because I was, I was I'm trying to get to a pussy.
1: <laughs> But I was excited. I'm in the fire department. I get to wear the shirt. I get the cool radio belt. Um, This is it. My dreams are coming true. And I got to tell you, this sounds so cliche and so dumb, but I worked really, really fucking hard to get there with this little tick in the back of my head. You should be a firefighter. And like, I don't know, 10 years later, eight years later, whatever it is, there I was. And I thought, wow, I worked really hard. Blood, sweat, tears, man. And then I went through standards. I went through standards in fire standards where you go. And they, By the way, they pay for your standards. They pay you while you're in standards. Everything's free. I mean, it's, a, it's the ultimate gig. I went through standards in June, July, August. I drank 40 tons of water. I don't think I ever peed once. I was sweating like a maniac. I worked as hard as I possibly could. And then I went back to 51. 51 station is the top what top 10 in the country yeah. with call volumes. Mm-hmm. I went back to 51 a shift,
0: which butts up to 50, which is also one of the top. To- in the yeah, I mean, we're talking the <laughs>
1: highest volumes of high. Volume. We're talking 20 plus calls a shift,
0: which is backed up by 70, which is where we were. Which is ultimately. where we were, yeah.
1: yeah. So, and this is, I backed up a little bit because I was like, okay, I was in stage two, but I got humbled. Because the fire, firefighters will humble you. So if you walk in there, me, I'm 6'3, I'm like, Wah! you know, me. Everyone's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, who are you? Shut up. Don't talk. Do the dishes. So they humbled me. And then when I got here, and then we finally got going to the fire department, um, I this is where I started to feel vulnerable again. Okay, these guys don't like me. These calls are not going well. They're intimidating me. They're pushing me out of the way. And I had to try to gain traction again to get back to that comfortable spot. How do I walk in here in shorts and not get yelled at? How do I do these calls and look like I'm the best medic in the fucking universe? How do I do this? So it's, once again, it's just that goal. How do I make this look easy? I don't even know what that is. I just want to make this look easy even though it's not. I just want to get in that zone where I'm comfortable. And it took me about two years, two more years, and then I got, and then I reset back to the most dangerous level again, which was being vulnerable and being, feeling like you, Oh, am sorry, for being invincible. And then that's when it turned really bad. I was in a bad relationship. I was seeing the worst of the worst of calls. But there are I was trying to make them bounce off of me because I tried to create a world where that wasn't, it wasn't real life. Isn't like the first mechanism is trying to just put a shield up and say, no pun intended, put a shield (laughs) up and say, this isn't real life. I'm just going to keep doing this because I'm I'm turning inward and being selfish.
0: Well, also, I mean, you've got that mindset. You've got the fact that it, doesn't compute that you see that much death and destruction disfigurement right and then you've got sleep deprivation which then literally creates psychosis and starts to pull you from what reality you know is and even to this day i don't feel like i've still four years later reclaimed that actual clarity that acute sense of of life (laughs) and i still feel a little foggy a little kind of under war and it's and then so it's almost like it's the body's protection mechanism and plus sleep deprivation to dull you to callous your mind a little bit because you do see kids in microwaves i had a a period where i didn't have any pd calls and i had um what was supposed to be sids ended up being murder i had a woman who supposedly a baby fell out the crib that looked like it had been put through a meat grinder Mm -hmm. i had a shaken baby kid that had stayed in um god what was that uh con home in 50s first year and there was a child ward a special needs child ward on there
1: oh oh uh i can't quiz i, I blacked all this out yeah on purpose no exactly so anyway <laughs> so, that, so that
0: exists and it's just heartbreaking just walking into that ward where that little boy all no, he would ever known about, yeah. was a ceiling of that that yep. place and he died literally in my arms and it was just from zero to a million a million like how do you Tell someone, hey, how would you prepare? Let me give you a scenario. How would you prepare for this? <laughs> right. The only way, well, I'd basically punch myself in the face to where reality was dulled, and that's exactly what the body does.
1: And that's and that's where I felt like I was. I was sleep deprivation is a massive thing. I, I, I'm sure you've done many shows on where that's been covered, yes. because you don't have time to process what you see. Because, like I said, we don't have time. We're doing twenty plus calls a shift. If the calls are awful back to back to back to back to back, and even the ones that aren't awful, it's just taking time away from you being able to settle it in. You know, it's like, it's like pouring water on a plant. That water has to seep down and like grow the roots a little bit. And you have to kind of determine, okay, what did I see? I want to deal with it. I mean, these are traumatic situations. You have people who get like bugs in their meal and they can't recover for a week. I'll never eat a salad ever again. Well, I just saw a guy hanging in a tree. But now I got to go do training and then I got to go to here and then I got to do 10 more calls tonight and not sleep tonight. I haven't processed the guy hanging in the tree yet. And then that's where the dangerous part is because you think you're invincible. It's like, well, I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm going to go home. And this is where I started to have the downward spiral. I was in a bad relationship at home. And my escape from bad relationship was I'm going to get fucked up. I'm going to drink three beers when I walk the dogs this morning. I might just stay up i will get fucked up all day. But that's the thing, the cycle is so brutal and demanding. Cause that twenty four on, forty eight off, after a while that shit goes quick.
0: Yeah. You get off shift to twenty four hours. You get off shift at seven AM. So, yeah, so that's not a day off. Not a day off. You work seven hours
1: of that day. And then the, and then you sleep until maybe one, four or five hours. Maybe, if you're lucky. You might have kids. I don't have kids. All I do is walk the dogs and go to sleep. You know, <clears throat> you sleep until 1 o'clock and you have one night where you can sort of do whatever you want and you have no consequences the next day. Keep in mind, you're not working any overtime or not getting mandatory or anything like that. Then you had that night and then the next day you work and then you have the day off but then you work the next day.
0: Yeah. So, the whole time you're thinking, you know, I got to start packing my bags. I got to be up at 5. And you got to start you know. resetting. I got to do yeah. this all
1: over again. So, you work Monday, then you work Thursday, then you work Sunday, and then you work when and it goes and it
0: goes. And well, so- and also, I think people don't understand So you've had those beers, whether you crack one open in the morning, which, you know, obviously is a big red flag, or even if what I was doing, maybe, you know, one with lunch or whatever, which is my big, you know, okay, if it's bleeding into the midday time, I'm already, you know, gating back, but usually the evening, but if you listen to what alcohol does to your sleep... You've now just totally destroyed the quality of the sleep oh. on your days off as well. Yep. But this is the cycle that we're in. So you're constantly chipping away and getting worse and worse, even on your days off.
1: And the tank, the tank is, is, is finite. There's a certain point where the tank is zero. You have no rest. You have no ability to have your brain be able to focus. And like I said, you can't retain that water, that plant water. That guy, that guy, That guy that was hanging, that was four shifts ago. You still haven't dealt with that yet. Now go down the road 3 months. You've had two more guys hanging. You still haven't dealt the first guy hanging. Mm-hmm. And then just and then and then the relationship became even worse because I was getting worse. I'm getting darker. I'm hating everyone. I'm losing a semblance of reality. I don't even I don't talk to my friends. I'm getting I'm angry. I mean all of the red flag things. That was in the first chapter of that fucking paramedic book. Sorry, I'm in the table again. <laughs> the first chapter of that paramedic book was take care of yourself, but then they bury you another nine months of stuff that is not addressed properly. And it is certainly a stigma in the departments. But when they don't when you don't address this, you're on your own. There's no one coming to save you. Luckily I had a good group of friends who were like, hey man, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. But there was instances where my family was like, you are not you. But you don't want to hear that. Because you're still thinking you're invincible. And then this is where stage three happens. Where you fucking crash. And everything catches up to you. And your emotions, you don't even know what is going on internally. Like I said, my relationship was terrible. So my escape from my relationship, which is already emotionally troubling, was what? Go back to work. I'll pick up overtime. It's like the Hurt Locker where he's in the grocery store at the end. It's like there's so many cereals. This is not the life that I want. And he got right back on the plane and went right back to go defuse bombs in Iraq. So I'm going to escape my home life, which is already in turmoil because I'm drinking, she's drinking, we're fighting, we're screaming, we're throwing shit all over the house. I'm sleeping on the porch to I don't want to be here. Where else can I go? I can go make money and then you just and then and then you just do the cycle again well you compound the cycle. You don't just do the oh, cycle yeah.
0: you, you make it worse because at least that one day him. yeah you were off and I see that so much whether it's childhood trauma and or all the things that we've we've brought in that is one of the least understood elements of mental ill health is what you know we used to call the overtime whore Oh, yeah. You know, what's right? Well, you know, the guy, that I think one of the guys in Orange County used to, the old guys that left after we got there, he yeah. would come off shift with us and then go to some small department. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a giant red flag that you are not doing okay. And I think he dropped dead at like 50 or something. something. Yeah. But, but I then that was like the
1: next stage. I crashed. I was so... I looked myself in the mirror at some point and I'm like, I was so bloated and deformed. Like, I looked at myself. I didn't... Think, I think I may have saw myself in a picture. I was like, who is that? I physically was changing, which is just my internal self coming out of like, you know, like this guy is a broken man. I was depressed. I was, I mean, literally all the red flags. I was depressed. I was inexplicably crying. I was drinking myself to death. I was... Fighting the people, I was isolating. I'd disappear for a day. I'd call out of work. I'd go into work still drunk. I mean, it was all the things, and I didn't know what to do. I had no
0: idea what to do. Was this darkest place when we were together in seventy?
1: Well, seventy is my last station, so it had to have been somewhere in that ballpark. I think I hit it well. I'm not sure.
0: Because I know I was there. I left, what, two years before you did, I think. like I moved out. I transitioned to another department in 2013. 13. So,
1: so yeah, you were. it was a little – because I left in – what, I leave in 17. So, no. So, it was probably not as bad when you were there. But it was the last two years. Maybe, two, yeah, two and a half years. And the thing what really disturbed me is that it was bleeding into my real life. And then, which is a weird dynamic, it bleeds itself back into work. I didn't give a fuck about anybody, anything. I walked in the station late. I was wearing shorts. I went right to bed. I didn't do any chores. I didn't do this. I didn't care about patients. I'm like, get in the
0: fucking truck. Let's go. Every firefighter, medic, probably police officer can put your description immediately to other people that they work alongside. I Absolutely. it.
1: And people will be like, oh, shit, Tanzer's here. Because I'm like, get out. Everyone get out. Engine, you're canceled. I don't want you guys here. I was I was the biggest dick on scene for a long for a long time. I would do calls with my shorts on. I did calls where I didn't even get in the back of the truck. I go, where do you want to go? ORMC? Get in. Like the homeless guys. Like get in. They get in the back of they get in, sit in the jump seat. We drive no RMC. We say you, no patient, leave. You sat in the front? Yep. I didn't give a fuck. I mean, we're talking the worst of the worst. And it was looked upon as that's the I think maybe that's part of the problem is that people saw it as like almost like a version of celebrity. Like it was like it was like a parody.
0: And what's sad is then you get the young medics and firefighters and they, they look in the action yeah. and they're like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be. And there's you know, it's, it's nauseating watching some year and a half, you know, firefighter with yep. his fucking gay ass moustache <laughs> emulating the biggest dickhead in their fucking department. Which was it's like mean. Dude, no, 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 yeah, no. And I
1: didn't want to be an inspiration, but I just didn't know what other character to play. I was literally being a character. I wasn't being myself. I didn't even know who myself was anymore. I was like, well, I'll just lay into this. People seem to enjoy it. Fuck it. I mean, there were heroin overdoses. I'm like, yeah, they're dead.
0: I just leave. And then obviously the word compassion, fatigue. Oh, comes nothing, in. nothing.
1: Zero. Yeah. The, the tank was empty. Zero, 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 zero. Anybody who worked on me, 51 or 70, from 2015 to 2018, whatever it is, we'll can attest to this. I talked to John you know, not too long ago, and he was like, yeah, you were roasted. and Because I just dove into that character. That's probably what the problem was. I just dove into the character because I just like, well, this is an identity that I can, I can just go with. And it is dangerous on so many levels. Like I said, it's dangerous for the young guys to see. It's dangerous for the old guys to see. And I'm not sure if that was... I I I didn't I didn't know what else to do.
0: Did anyone see that in you? When when I look back now, John Burns a perfect example. Yeah, Ryan I love John. another one. They were our angry guys. You know, Ryan was hilarious because he would punch the dashboard all the way to the core mm-hmm. and then open the door go, hi mom, my name's Ryan, can I help you? And <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, what in the fuck? Yeah. yeah, he was just <laughs> But we it wasn't would, bipolar, it was like tripolar. Yeah, but we would push each other's buttons when someone was having a quote-unquote bad day. Now, with this new lens that I have, I look back and go, fuck, man. We should have been taking them aside and being, are you all right? Absolutely. No, there was none of that. You know, so, and that's, and I, you know, people say, well, they did the best of what they had. I mean, I understand that. 2018, I mean, there was a the beginning of some of these conversations, but it wasn't no, where we are now. Yeah, no,
1: I, I was already checked out by that time. So, I'll say 2017 really was where, where, where the end was. Um. Yeah, there's no conversation, and I hate to tell you this, but, you know, I'm going to speak for our department, but I talk to a lot of other people who work a lot of other departments. They don't really give a shit. And the only reason they actually care when they actually start to get involved is when it's going to cause them liability. If I, The only reason I got off the road, was able to get off the road, was telling them, I don't think I'm fit for duty. I don't – I could kill people. I don't know. I can't just say that and then do nothing. But the, that's the first step. And I was doing it just because I wanted to leave the department. Imagine someone who's been there for a long time who doesn't have any other skills. This is what they've been doing since they were 19 or 20 years old. And they have 12 years left or whatever it is. They're going to, they could think that they're scared to lose their job. There are people in every fire department in the country, the world, who have people who do that job every day who do not want to be there, don't feel comfortable being there, and know that they have mental health issues, they have things churning inside of them, they have trouble at home, whatever it may be, but they are afraid to speak up because of fear for retribution, their job, looking like a pussy. That still exists. I know there are conversations happening. I know that some departments do do a better job, but wholesale, it's, it's, it's a big problem. And I don't know, luckily I like I said, I have a good support system, friends and family that I was able to find a way out of all this, but there's a lot of people who do not have that support system. They don't have good parents or they don't have parents available, or they just say, go, oh, I'm just sacrificing for my family. I got to be able to provide. Or maybe they're in a bad marriage. What percentage of guys we worked with are in a bad marriage?
0: I mean, I was going through a divorce, like I said, at that time yeah. at Orange County, you know, and, and I mean, God, you talk about burned out. I remember Spidey, it probably seemed funny to him and his also sleep deprived mind, but they, I have a screensaver of me and my son and I must have left the computer unlocked and he'd written the word pedo over it. And I almost fucking broke his jaw oh my that day, God, you know, just the wrong joke at the, the wrong, wrong time. Yeah. But I'm you know, I'm not a violent person, you know me, no, I'm not, no, I wasn't no. out beating my chest. But that time it was like all my strength not to just go smack him square in the face because... And you would have been justified. Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, it was two, two wrongs coming together. And but, that's the
1: thing, you get a lot of those alpha personalities, you get a lot of these dudes seeing each other every third day. They're, and we're all just sort of like zombie walking through. We're all tired. We're all burnt out. We're all seeing the same shit. And they're all just packing these four to seven to 12 guys all in the same building every third day going, All right, guys, have a good time. And the personalities are all over the place and the way they deal with anger. I couldn't imagine how it is nowadays, like with politics and the
0: division in the country and. Well, COVID. COVID, the, the whole only thing? thing that you had that was really healing was a dining room table. And now they tell them they have to eat on different corners Just, of the station. So, I mean, I, and I, can, I can tell you right now, when I was going through what I was going through,
1: I did not feel like I was part of any kind of team or a brotherhood. I hate to tell you guys, that brotherhood thing is really losing a lot of traction. I know it's some places are good. There's a lot of places that aren't. Um, I do know that they try to take care of some people, but I was very unimpressed with my whole process because the psychologist that I went to go see, I told you just before we got on here, basically said like, okay, what do you want to do? i like to do light duty. Okay. How long do you want to do that for? I'm like, I don't know, a couple months. He's like, okay, well, tell me about your thing. Like he wanted to find out what my, what my desires were before he asked him what my fucking, yeah, <laughs> what, my, what my problems were. And like I said judging by your wall of diplomas maybe you can help tell me this. Uh but no help. And there was no like follow up, what's he up to, what's going on. They don't they just they don't care. They want to do the bare minimum. And that's the other part of it that they go, "Well, we're going to churn a lot of staff. It's going to happen, but there's a million guys who want to be firefighters and girls. We'll be able to hire as long as we want." Maybe not. Is every fire department in the world looking for something, looking for people right now?
0: Well, is almost every fire department understaffed at the moment? Absolutely. So where are all these people, especially well qualified people? They're not. You can't, you can't put the bar so low that you require 18 and a heartbeat Absolutely. and not have the crisis that we have now. I mean, look at law enforcement. So many great people in uniform, but that low bar philosophy has created some of those horrendous videos that we've seen the four you know fat police officers struggling to hold down one person and i'm not (laughs) belittling i'm just saying this is the reality these are not professions for everyone i would be the world's worst fucking tax preparation guy you know what i mean (laughs) so you all have your, your your fit but by lowering the the bar we're not attracting more people we're attracting less people And it's such a backward philosophy. And it's funny. We were talking before we started recording. You and I went to see the same psychologist for our psych test. To be hired. Yeah. To be hired. Yeah. Did we have a, did you have a polygraph? Yeah. Yeah. We did as well. Yeah. Which I lied on a lot. Yeah. Well, so do I. I've been with firefighters for (laughs) five sake. but
1: (laughs) But we're, we're, we are, we are amazingly. Gifted liars, we can be the whole polygraph, no problem. But,
0: but you're not hiding anything bad. You're hiding, oh, I tried this substance once while I was out partying my ass off in Japan, had a yeah. great time, hugged a bunch of Japanese people and didn't <laughs> lose a job. So, right. um, talk to me though about the, the psychologist, because this yeah. is, this is an important thing and I'll preface it. I think if we took the same money that we use on waste on polygraphs and psych tests and, and this thing that we're about to talk about and put it into, Five counseling sessions, as you go through orientation, probation, whatever it looks like, and you can offset some of the stuff we talked about early childhood and create a relationship with the counselor that will carry you through your career. Mm -hmm. You don't have to find a red cent; more, the money is there. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about our psychology experience, the lady and and her mental health. Yeah, no,
1: (laughs) you go to this office. It's in this big building, and it's a single room. It's probably it's a little probably smaller than this, this. living room here and there's a million books and stacked papers like looks like an episode of hoarders no no exaggeration like season four episode nine amc hoarders <laughs> it's crazy and there's a little spot that's probably about 14 inches wide on this little leather couch and she looks like she owns 11 cats like <laughs> it's true she's She looks like an old grandmother, but she's like 49. It's really weird. And then you sit down and she just
0: asks. I don't remember what she asked me. Do you remember the questions that she asked? They were very generic, but I swear to God, bearing in mind I was in the stunt world for a long time, I kept waiting for her because I saw this in Hialeah's Polygraph guy. That it was this like whole a whole act. It was like a, it was like a, so I'm a like, ruse. okay, She then she's gonna be like, hey, congratulations, you passed. That was all just a, you <laughs> know, the walls
1: peel yeah, away. We're exactly like, yeah, nice job. But uh, it wasn't.
0: And I'm like, it was so real. You can't even manage your own filing but you're assessing me, me for my ability to be a firefighter paramedic.
1: And be able to navigate the next X amount of years of my of my career. This is all purely, once again, go back to litigation. This has to be something in the process that says, if you don't psychologically evaluate these guys and they're deemed un, you know
0: unfit, then they can sue us later on if they do something wrong. This has to be a part of the process. But it's probably that mythology the same way as they convince us. If you don't do a 12-page report on a refusal – then they'll have you in court. No, right. the person signed, even though the tough books never actually capture the real signature, so it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. The person I signed a million said, myself. I don't want to go to hospital. That kind of should be it. Now, of course, if they're you know chest pain and widowmaker on the you know the twelve mm-hmm. lead, that's a different thing. Of course. But they rolled their ankle. They said they were fine. Okay, you're a big boy. Uh, this this is the it. you know the West. You'll be all right. Right. And so I think a lot of these things that we're told, like oh, you know, there's these lawsuits. I, don't, I think that's bullshit. I think if you do a proper, yep. thorough background check, no one can ask you for any more. Okay, we checked. James hadn't got any you know, criminal record or driving violations or anything like that. Totally. If I turn out to be a complete lunatic, that's not on you for not catching that. Now, was it probably working for Orange County for several years that made that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. You no, know? But what about the guys? I mean, I hate to bring up, this is somber, but
1: I know I've heard of guys in the last couple of years because I see the guys coming because I work as a nurse now, which we'll get to, but i see the guys come in and we talk and i see on social media you know our logo with like a black thing on it with a with a with a a badge number i'm like who the fuck is that we've had i don't know five or six guys girls kill themselves
0: yeah marion county here the the most recent one a guy um gave himself sucks in the ambulance bay that's jabbed himself unbelievable yeah
1: that is heartbreaking it's
0: happening everywhere
1: and that's the thing is we look at this and go, you had a psychological exam that said that these people were fit for duty. But then there's – because it's, it's not sexy to follow up with them in a year from now. Go, hey, how you doing? You feeling okay? They don't ha- They don't care. They don't care. Sorry, everyone. They don't care. Because they talk about churning these bodies. And they also made the hiring process easier. <laughs> or they streamlined it. I have an Orlando police officer. Who's a really good friend of mine. Been on my show many times. He's a wonderful guy. I love him. He's been in the department for a long time. He goes. They are hiring people at OPD who are getting half the training, and half the normal hiring process stuff. They need bodies. How is that going to work out? For but this they industry? don't need
0: bodies. That's the point. They need professional police officers.
1: Absolutely. And they don't have them. They think volume is going to help. It's not. I can tell you right now. There are. <laughs> it kills me that these guys get no backup. And then I see these guys killing themselves. And then, so what What obligation does the county have because of that? Can they get sued for that? For not properly following up on that? Probably. But
0: they're not going to use a budget for it. They're not going to use a budget byline for it. Well, think about this. We, we worked in a profession where... If you heard of an agency that had an actual physical standard that was held to, that, you know, you had to meet just like lifeguards do, just like so many of the, any of the the elite soldiers and, you know, operators on the planet, that's an anomaly. Like, we were supposedly a little bit more progressive, but you could yeah. totally screw up the iPad and nothing happened. You know, John Byrne would do it with a cigarette in his mouth in flip-flops <laughs> and for a reason, to make a point. Yeah, yeah. Because he was like, this is stupid. This is stupid, exactly. So... If there's that disregard on the visible wounds, on physical health, what message does that send about mental health? We don't even care if you get fat and die on a physical sense. We really don't give a shit if you go no, stick a, a gun in your mouth.
1: Absolutely not, because there's... I mean, look look at the VA. The VA is criminally underfunded. These guys come back from war. And the, what's the suicide rate nowadays? It's, I mean, the the
0: twenty two a day is always thrown around, but it's it's completely unacceptable, is what the suicide a, rate is. So
1: this is a governmental. These people sacrifice their lives, their careers to go overseas and defend our country, and our government couldn't give two fucks. It has to come in. Private companies have to come in with volunteers, um, you know, privately funded you know, businesses come in and go, how do we help?
0: Or what happens a lot of times that I've had so many people on the show, firefighters, police officers, soldiers. Colleagues. Start nonprofits, Absolutely. Because they're tired of watching their friends, you know, hang themselves and in the, the closet. And people who hire
1: work. them and, and throw them to the wolves don't care. And this happens on a grand scale with the VA and the government. And I can tell you, it happens at local government. It happens with the cops. It happens with every person. When you call 911 at your house, any one of those people that come could be on the edge. I could be totally at risk for what we're talking about right now. Maybe all of them. <laughs> Maybe you are lucky, in none of them. So I commend them. You know, I I used to joke because I used to see a couple guys come in when I first got out of the department. I'd see them like, "Hey, man, how are things going?" Like, "Oh, good, 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 great." I see them like six months later. I'm like, "Hey, how are things going?" I'm like, "It's all right. It's doing pretty good." I could just sort of like see like the eyes sunken a little bit more. And I see them like six months later. Hey, man, how are things? not bad and you just saw this progression of like over because I don't see them every day it's like looking at yourself in the mirror every day like you don't really see it. it's like a slow you know bunny in the pot type thing it's a slow burn but when you see them every six months or every three months you're like oh this person doesn't look good like I see that snapshot
0: yeah well I've talked about this a lot as you touched on earlier we are a horrible if I go to you when we're working together at 70 and go you know you're right, Mike. Yeah, I'm fine. Well, of course you seem fine because you and I are getting as broken down as each other <laughs> right. at the same time. Yeah. So that's why it's so important to ask, you know, wives, husbands, children, parents, aunties, uncles, whoever, especially if it's someone mm-hmm. that you might see periodically, but from a, a longer time, you know, how am I doing? Sounds like a weird thing to ask. No. But they are really the people that are on the outside looking in going, you, just, you know, I had one of my, you know, my family members, my mom, tell me a while ago when I was at Orange County and them lifeguarding on the side, and she said, "Darling, you look like you're dying." That's what I needed to hear. That, that to hear. stopped me doing that lifeguarding job. You don't want me Who's going to tell you that in Station Seventy? Like, Nobody, Mike. You know, I think you're dying. Well, I think you're dying too, James. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. Fuck off. Because <laughs> you you don't
1: want to be surrounded by a bunch of yes men. This is why celebrities get in trouble because they're surrounded by a bunch of people who just say yes all the time to everything they say. I've always said to one of my really good friends. I was like, if you ever get elected president, like just have me like in a little corner office, just so I can kind of hear everything, see everything that's going on, and just pop in and be like, hey, is this a good idea? i would be like, no, this is fucking retarded. And I'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. And then walks like, hey, no, we're not doing this. Like just like have someone who can just check, yeah, do like a little reality check. But like I said that's not reality. Like you said, it's not. It's a whole different universe. Luckily, I had these people I could check in on. The relationship I was in was supposed to be that, but that was toxic as well. Like we talked about before people in bad marriages. So maybe they don't have a lot of like accessible reality checks. And it sounds, you know, cliche, but you have to find somebody, something to be able to do that little, Hey, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? it's was like a, those battery checkers. Like, this is, you know, how's your power doing? It's like, but we don't, we, we don't have access to that as much as we used to. And I don't know what these, you know, these government, entities plan on doing about it probably nothing um but i I feel for the people who are doing these jobs and probably feel really lost and don't have access to it i reach out all the time i remember after pulse i was gone already oh was i gone already i was about to be gone yes i was right at the end and i reached
0: out to the people who were involved in that
1: and i was like hey man if you need anything let me know Whatever.
0: I had Maria and Ryan on one of the, the episodes. Oh, did you really? I listened. Well, actually, it was a great because I had Maria and Ryan, Orange County. Trans- those are two, people, those are two people reached out to you. Yeah, and they're they're awesome. I think I had around that time too. Um, I had the LT that was at Station Five, where a lot of people were saying they talking. were hiding in. Yeah, they were hiding in the um, yeah you know, the station, and we got the real story behind that. And then I had Raúl, one of the OPD SWAT guys, yeah. who killed the terrorist. And each of them had different stories about each other oh, you know, yeah, they didn't do this right. And when you put them all together... Did it all make sense? It all made sense. And you realize where well, there was miscommunication. Of course. But the whole blame storming thing. But I mean, they were powerful stories, but it wasn't like saying any of them was, shouldn't have said this or shouldn't have said that. But when you listen to the boots on the ground from each of these different perspectives... Totally. Now you paint a whole picture. But I mean, that event, you know, shook but, all those men and women. I said that a long time ago.
1: Because I said, oh man, after Pulse... Man, these first responders, they're going to get, it's like after 9-11. I watched Rescue Me. It was a, I think it was a fun show. I mean, it was a little bit crazy, but whatever. But I was like, they used to say like, oh, hey, man, nine eleven was five years ago and like it used to be. Because after 9-11, firefighters could do no wrong. Cops could do no wrong. Especially in New York. They could write their ticket. They, could, they didn't pay for a meal for God knows how long, right? And I thought to myself, wow, this is a, ter- this is the biggest shooting in American history in Orlando. And it was in a place where there's so many entities involved. It wasn't just one department. It wasn't just one sheriff's office. It wasn't just one hospital. This was a lot of groups coming together. It was Orange County. It was Orlando. ORMC. Right?
0: Mm -hmm. Right on the doorstep of, you know, between our two first Jews as well. Absolutely.
1: But wait, weirdly, this is a, I don't say perfect, but this is a strangely perfect place to try to bring this community together. Plus, it represents a lot about what... This Orlando is about. Orlando is very gay friendly, which is great. And I thought to myself, "Wow, this is kind of like our 9/11 for Orlando. This is really bad. Man, these these first responders are going to get whatever they want. Great, take advantage of it. Like, let's let's take this for a ride. Those guys got fucking fired. Those Orlando guys. Yep, they got fucking fired because they didn't want to go to work. That is what."
0: <laughs> yeah i don't even know how to respond to that well i was i was at you know my last place that protects the disney world area yeah. i was overseas i was in portugal and i've told this a few times but it's important to, to fucking hear this i came back heartbroken because they had that they had that poor little it was a little kid that was eaten by the the gator Algar- Algar- yeah. yeah and then there was the singing tv reality show girl that was murdered in orlando yeah that was was, all in that right next yeah it was like a day later yeah and i was gone for all that so i came back like you know back to that last apartment being okay i'm assuming that i've missed out on a whole bunch of you know potential training coming up and we're gonna get new gear bags all that stuff nothing 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 and i was like and why i even went off on them one day and they were like oh we talked about it one day Oh they, put, they put a training on the computer, but then what a lot of people don't understand is that shooter went to Disney Springs first, yeah, he was my first Jew, and they have it on camera, and I've had people you know that like Raul talked about it because they watched the video. He came out. There just happened to be a whole bunch of SO on scene at that moment. He,
1: was he casing that night?
0: He was going to shoot that night. He had everything with him. But then he
1: left and then went. Was it a different night or was it the same night?
0: Same night. We same got night. back in his car directly up to Pulse, shot up Pulse. So he must have had a backup plan then. So yeah. So there was gay days was going on. So they had a lot of, you know, okay. gay men and women there. But also, you know, on top of that, children and all these other things. And that near miss, again, I'm coming back, heartbroken from my city that I serve. You know, as you know, we pass Pulse every time we transport. Day, we yeah, MC, you know, 10 every, times a day. Yep. And just, okay, maybe this is the kick up the ass that this most complacent department I've ever worked for is, is going to finally nothing. start changing. Fucking nothing. And I was disg- – and that was just, you know, that was the beginning of the end for me because I'm like, yeah. if this doesn't, yeah. you know, make you change – Nothing will, and we'll just—I'll just watch on TV when the, when when something finally hits Disney, yep. and then people are like, "Oh, why didn't?" I? Yeah, well, because people were telling you for fucking decades, but you didn't want to listen. A, my my
1: exact sentiment was, if this does nothing, we are fucked. Yeah, sorry guys, and I knew that was my final kick out the door because I was right around when I was le- I was leaving not too long after that, and I was like, "Wow, this this was the thing that we—I'd say the thing we needed, but." This thing was an opportunity. It happens anyway. So what's the good that we can
0: pull out of it? Yeah.
1: How do we make this like beneficial? Okay, so let's redirect some funds to the guys. How do we get these guys some do you need some time off? What do you need? What how do we work this out? Could we get like a could we get like a task force together? Do we get like a response? Nothing. Zero? Nothing. Zero. CNN came down. Anderson Cooper's on the street. Helicopters over above. Four days later, everyone goes back to where they came from. They put a memorial up and then we move on. This is these are opportunities. I say opportunities. God, it's so weird, but like these are chances for us to say, this was fucking terrible. Someone do something. Uvaldi. We talked about that shit for guns. People are like this is the last time. What happened? I went on my show five times. Guys, nothing's gonna happen.
0: We too many roadblocks. Well, what happened is that Everyone said, pick a side, you for guns or against guns, rather than, hey, let's talk about all these layers from psych meds to violence on television to sleep deprivation to gun accessibility. Like, do I need to be able to go to Gander Mountain and buy a 50 cal for my (laughs) eight-year-old little Steve? Probably (laughs) fucking not. But should I have no guns at all in a country where every criminal has a gun? Also no. You know, but what can we do with, and the only way we fix it is we bring all these discussions together. But with COVID, with the police issue, with school shootings. You oh, let's buried. not fix it. Let's just try and get the most clicks or the most people watching my dog shit television station. Absolutely. And let's absolutely not fix it and fuck you to every parent and child that died because we don't actually want to solve the problem. Nope. We're looking forward to the next time where we can get ratings and sell yeah. more and more debates and you you know, know, more time shredded longer. wheat commercials in between. <laughs>
1: right. That's, that's the, the terrifying thing is that and, and buried in all of that, we have these people who were there. There are people who went into those rooms at all those schools, Sandy Hook, all these places, cops, medics, firemen who saw droves of dead kids. What did they get to help them manage that? You and I have seen a whole bunch of shit in our lives.
0: Yeah. We weren't at a mass shooting. That was just a regular responder's life.
1: And anybody who listens to this who's been a medic or or a first responder for any amount of time knows what we're talking about. And you have to do your own calorie burning to get help. And
0: that is a massive first step for a lot of people. Well, especially when you're in crisis, you know, what do you You get? Oh, oh, there's a phone number on the on pin board of which uh, some of my guests like Dustin Hawkins called and it wasn't even the right number anymore and they'd never even bothered (laughs) to update in that. So do you think that someone in crisis is gonna be like, hold on a second, let me put this gun down and call right. this suicide helpline number. Right. No, you need everything in place as we said from yeah. day 1, and as you start going down, uh, peer support and all these other things mm-hmm. to be there the moment that you you need help. It's like it's like I always make fun of those uh, signs
1: on 75 that say like are you thinking about getting an abortion and they have like the phone number. I'm like, do you think anyone's calling this number? Driving down 75 going, hmm. What am I going to do about my abortion? Oh, there's a number. Like these are you're totally pissing in the wind here with this stuff. Well, i love the
0: ones that are telling you you're going to hell. Oh yeah. Well, well I will if life. I keep looking at your stupid billboard and crash into a tree. <laughs> right. So stop posting billboards <laughs> on big roads. Yeah, but with
1: a, <laughs> is that a fetus with a heart? What what is that? Like it's is that a goblin? It, it's ridiculous. But it's just enough to say you're doing something. But in all actuality, it's almost insulting. Oh, it is. It's it's, it's box checking. totally insulting. Yeah. And and that's what and I I don't tout myself seriously sometimes I talk shit but I this is the most important decision I made was I'm going to leave and I'm going to end this relationship and I'm going to credit my mom and my brother and my very close friends with this because I bounced a lot of this stuff off of them
0: because you don't even think that your ideas are good
1: <laughs> well You're before
0: like, you got to this realization where was the darkest place you found yourself
1: I was never suicidal I never thought I was like, oh, I'm going to go shoot up a Publix. I never, I never, never there. The darkest, it's hard to, it was probably a, maybe like a month, a month's worth um, where it was just, I think I called out of work maybe two shifts in a row. So I gave myself like a week off. I had a bunch of, I said, I tried to build some PTO and just benders, man, just drinking like crazy. Like it was the end of the world. And just trying to pick up girls, and you know, just feel sorry for myself. Drive drunk a lot. Um, I was getting in fights with my friends. I was passing out all of the. I was just. I was. I was just a destructive, very selfishly destructive person. I was drinking like it was the end of the world. I really was. Every single day, every single night, I was trying to drown myself in alcohol. And it was, um, it's really difficult to look back on that and say it's embarrassing. It fills me with a lot of shame and it makes me appreciate my friends and family that much more because they saw some of that. They saw me be totally blacked out drunk and just flopping around the house or like pushing a door or whatever I was doing. And they still were like, this is not you. We're going to trust this is really not you. But I think they sort of were like playing bouncer with me. You know, like, let's just kinda of see what he's gonna do. And kind of made they made a figurative circle around Peri- my life perimeter. perimeter like <laughs> make it like they made a moat. Like, just don't let Mike fall in the water. And I think it just kinda of just like went like this and like, okay, just make sure he doesn't like I'll keep an eye on him. You'll keep an eye on him Wednesday, I'll keep an eye on him Thursday. It was almost like that. I look back on it. And it was that probably two, three week period where I just I don't remember anything. I was just um using drugs just really really destructive. And I don't know if I was just trying to get out of my system or I was uh, that's probably just a cop out. I think I was just super depressed. Cuz I was also thinking to myself go back to rewind 7 years. I killed myself to get this job. And now I'm thinking about leaving. That's very shameful. I have to go to, I have to face my friends. I have to face my family and say I'm not gonna be a fireman anymore. I know it sounded really, really cool, and it was a really prestigious job, but I can't do it anymore.
0: I just wanna interject for a second because you used the word shame, and I've heard heard that a lot from a lot of people recently. What people have to think about is when they stood on the drill ground, whether it was a fire academy, a, you know, first day EMT school, the police academy, whatever it is, when you looked around, did you see a bunch of physically and mentally broken men and women? No. You saw people with aspirations who were excited about that job. It was like who they were newborns. On. And then you look five, 10 short years later and there's so much shame. I just met a firefighter who survived his suicide attempt. He lost his eye and, you know, part wow. of his jaw, but, um, and he was shamed about his suicide attempt. And he was a, vet, if I remember, right, he was a veteran as well. And he served in Afghanistan, I think. And, You know, that shame is then compounding. You already had shame and guilt. Now you've got more shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. The discussion needs to be, how do we take these young soldiers, firefighters, whatever, and how only 5, 10 years later are they this? But if I take someone and they work for Publix, the grocery store... Five, 10 years later, they might be a little chubby, balding a little bit. But and maybe and maybe general manager. Yeah, or maybe Jack because <laughs> they actually took their fitness seriously. Yeah. But they're not going to be a broken former version of themselves. And so that's what's so sad is that that aspiration you had, that was a fire in you. But seven years… You yeah. know, it broken you down that's an important conversation we've got to have the way that we work our firefighters especially and in Orange County how many times did we get a phone call at 7am you can't go home now your 56 hour work week became an 80 hour work yep. week as a single father you can imagine what that was like oh, that's yeah, why I left unimaginable yeah it was, just, it was unacceptable but um, so when you frame it that way it's almost a question how can you not get fucked up it's 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 a road to, to despair ultimately physically yeah. and mentally.
1: I think it's impossible, and I have ca- caught myself a couple times because I'll see like the new guys come in in the, in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, he looks new, he looks fresh. And I used to think like, oh, just give it time, man. And now I think like, hey, I'm like, hey, don't let it get to you, but keep in mind an exit plan down the road. I tell him that all the time, almost every day. Um, yeah. So that that was a. There's a deep, dark place that we should not be at. And speaking of shame, these departments should be shameful for producing this.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. If there, if there should be any shame at all, it should be from the like, employer and, and the unions too. Yeah. A lot of these unions are a, a fucking waste of money. And I love the union philosophy. Me too. But there's so much self-serving. I mean, Orange County's union, I won't name names. But you would think you're in, you know, my 600 pound wedding or whatever the fuck show it would be. Yep. You you need the people that are going to walk the walk physically and mentally to be advocating for your people. Orange County, that was not the case, and it was disgusting.
1: Yeah, uh, I had a union president. If you want to look it up, you probably figure out who it is who used to be on 70B shift back in right around that time, <laughs> who was my relief in the morning. Brotherhood, 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 Brotherhood. Shift starts at 7:30. Courtesy, what time do you usually About get there? Seven at the latest. Seventh latest. I think if you're at seven, 10, you're late. This motherfucker, so if you want to look at it, probably around 2010 to 2015, he may even still be involved in the union. Um, union president, union president, you know who you are. That motherfucker would show up on his motorcycle, looking badass as he wanted to be, at 7 32, 33. I would say eight out of 10 times, Mm -hmm. never before 7.15, 7.20 at the earliest.
0: So more often than not, you probably caught a late call. Absolutely. That was the next thing.
1: So 7.09, call comes in, who's got it? Well, Tanzer, you're fucked. So what is this? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. What are we doing here?
0: And even in COVID, the number of union—I've you know, got a—I um, think it's Boston's union president coming on, Sam, oh, nice. who I think you know Boston's doing some amazing things. They work with O2X, so I'm really excited to hopefully hear a very progressive, you know, good union. But with the COVID thing, like how many unions stood behind their firefighters with the mandates, regardless of your, you know, whatever on Have we COVID? Talked to Steve yet? Huh? Have we talked to? Yeah, had yet? him on the show. Did you? Yeah, that's. And I also had a doctor who gave a great show on vaccines and the efficacy and and the dangers and everything. So I had both sides because that's what a normal human being does. You go in the middle Mm -hmm. and you say, okay, how can we have conversations of both kind of leans? But mandates, especially now when we look back and every man and his dog was vaccinated and yeah. got COVID. Mm-hmm. I got I got vaccinated. I went and traveled. My grandmother's, ironically, we thought she was at death's door and I just saw a picture of her with a glass of wine. So I think she's bounced <laughs> she's back fine. yet again. But she's at almost 105. Wow. So I'm, I jab myself because I'll do everything I can to make sure I don't kill my grandmother. But the reality is it wasn't this, you know, second coming of Jesus vaccine that everyone said it was. So whether you agree or not, one thing I think everyone should agree on now is it wasn't so good that you can justify taking a first responder's profession away from them. Yeah, it's so I was
1: oh I was beside myself I, when mean, I, I don't think when any don't unions Steve. really back
0: their people. Or, I mean no. few if any back their people on that.
1: Talk about Boston those guys that died it was probably maybe ten years ago. They're they were in a faulty engine, hit a wall, it was a truck hit a wall, two of the guys died on duty. I mean, unfortunately, those guys got popped. They did, you know, they did toxicology. They had some drugs in their system. But the union's so strong there, they still got all their benefits because they said this had nothing to do with what happened as a faulty truck. It was like a truck from like the 60s. I was like refurbed and it was the brakes are all fucked up. But that's a union in, at work. They're trying to get these guys and their families benefits for guys who died on the duty because it was the department's fault. Fuck, Where we work, you can't even change a light bulb without putting a work order in. It's insane the, the 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 duality in all this.
0: Well, remember, we used to say if we ever got run over and killed, make sure you throw a traffic vest on me, otherwise, I'll get written <laughs> yes, up posthumously. That's the only way. The
1: only way. <laughs> well, there's a story. I don't know if you remember the story. There were the guys who got <sighs> sorry for the public to hear this, but this is this is what happens. The rescue that was coming back from a call that saw that witnessed a car go into a retention pond. Do you remember this call? They was in, it was, I think it was 83's area, 85's area, up by Waterford Lakes area. Cargo's in the water. They watched it from like, just oh, like, oh shit. So they go over there and they go in. The two guys on the rescue. But what do you need? Or any H, two in, two out. So they jumped in, they saved these people's lives. I think there's two or three people in the car. Smashed the windows, popped them, pulled them. It wasn't a deep water, but I mean, they were trapped. Pulled them out, whole big thing, whole, they're heroes. They got, a citation which is good for their life-saving duties and they also got written up they got written up because they didn't have the proper safety protocols
0: in place they didn't have two in two out i got written up the fuck me me and ryan (laughs) No, it's it's insane me and ryan we were we were supposed to be going to a structure fire the engine peeled out and nothing so we actually were kind of proactively in the bay because it's like, this doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Well, then second tone came out. They hadn't toned us out. So now- Was it your first tune? Yeah. Oh. I, that was. I think it was second year. I think it was 50s. But you're still, you're nearby. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, we were all pretty proactively there. We kind of, you know, we're right by our gear, threw our gear on. Um. If you remember, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the road now, but you got up orange and then we took a left at the one that was 50s on.
1: Uh. Oh, not 29th, but- um. What was 50 on? It was on 29th Street.
0: Not 50, sorry, 51. What was 51? Holden. Holden, yeah. So you make a left on Holden. Mm-hmm. It was a T-junction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we're going north on, on Orange, you make that left. The only direction any car can come from is that one way. Oakridge, Oakridge. Oak Oak there Oak Ridge. we go. Thank you. Yep. So the car has already stopped. I come to almost a stop. The, the, I think the, the camera had me going like eight miles an hour. Uh-huh. Code three, on our way to a fire, wearing full gear, seatbelt on. on. But I think I clipped the curb or something and uh well if we go go to the fire get there do our thing i get written up this whole like three paragraph write up of how i almost killed my crew everyone in the oh city of orlando God. and then i go <laughs> the to the union orlando. they're like this is an unwinnable fight we can't fight it remember this yeah. is when the, the camera supposedly- so many times the unwinnable fight why bother yeah and so anyway a year later that fucking whatever he was the internal investigator dude strolls into 70 and it's like hey it's been thrown out all the ones from that have been thrown out and I'm like, oh, this unwinnable fight was won.
1: Um, that's interesting. <laughs>
0: so they 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 took it off, and I think it became a oral counseling, whatever. But the the paragraph stayed the same. So my file, even though it was supposedly it's thrown tainted. out, it's yeah, it still now. says that I almost murdered everyone in, in the city of Orlando. <laughs> yeah,
1: because you maybe graze the curb, yeah. bono fire.
0: Yeah, with the GPS so I probably was almost zero because yeah. the cam's not gonna get that fraction there, you know, like yeah. those last couple of miles per hour on a you know? <laughs> I mean, fuck's sake. But that's they,
1: yeah, they, we had a crew get written up because they 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 took up too many spaces at Publix, which you're supposed to park an engine not sure you're supposed to do. And we had another crew that was written up because they were on a way to fire, went through the red light safely. And then turn the lights off because they were canceled because there's like a pot in the stove or whatever. Which happens all the time. Which happens all the time. So they went through the light, lights and sirens, no problem, went like another 100 feet. Then they cleared the light, turned the lights off. A citizen complained that they used the lights to get through the red light and they had to be counseled on it. So these are the departments that we work with. We don't feel like we're put first. We don't feel like we're a priority. It used to be us versus the citizens as far as like, hey – you know, we're going to back our guys first until it's proven otherwise. Now it's the complete opposite. If somebody calls and complains, like, it's on us.
0: But then you'll get some of the biggest turds in the world. Mm -hmm. They'll get their jobs back. So you have your good firefighters that are either going through something. Oh,
1: the always get their job back.
0: You know what I mean? But even, let's take the DOI, let's take the, the Boston engine with substances. I think even all that, I mean, like you said, you were driving. The fact that we have so many in our profession is another giant red flag. But I'm talking about... The person who should never have been hired, the problem child, and they get the (laughs) job back over and over and over again. But the good firefighter will go jump in a retention pond, pull people out, and then the union won't even defend them. On, you, know, you know what I mean? Or, or a COVID thing right. where, where you have your men and women that are paid Jews for 10, 20, 30 years, and you won't even step up to protect their jobs because something came out of thin air. It's unwinnable. Yeah. It's a like, winnable fight. So that's what I'm saying. That the union philosophy is amazing. Brotherhood, sisterhood. What have we got now? The black union, the women's union. Yep. It's not You've forgotten the word union. It's right. whatever fits All your narrative inclusive. now. Yeah. So we need to go back to union and I get there was some prejudice in the fire service and we need to fix that. But you don't fix yeah. that with making a whole bunch of, you know, pigeonholes and everyone just sitting in each one with their arms crossed.
1: Right. And, and that's the problem is that as you probably hear in James and I's tone <laughs> is that we feel this frustration and we're just reliving it because we haven't seen each other in a long time. But we know that common experience and other people who are listening to this because you have millions of listens, by the way, I'm supremely jealous that Know this feeling, and maybe they don't have the opportunity to vent like this, but when all these things pile up and you go home and then you to go to the shift again, your main thought was, I came into this for a reason. To help people. To help people. What the fuck have we butt fucked this into? <laughs> so this goes back to what I was saying where I feel shame. I came into this job to help people because I thought, I was a rudderless piece of shit 10, 15 years ago. And now I'm a 13, 14, 15-year paramedic. I'm an eight-year, seven-and-a-half-year, eight-year fireman. And I'm ready to give it up. Just like that. I feel shame. I feel bad. I face this insurmountable mountain of explanation. I actually rehearsed to myself myself. How do I tell people like why I left? Cause this is too much. I can't do an hour long podcast about why I left every single time I talk to somebody. Cause I have a you know, million people I talk to, but why do I feel the need to have to justify all of this to everyone? But I'm going to have to.
0: Why is it that someone can do two tours as a soldier mm-hmm. and people will thank them for the service, mm-hmm. but you do eight, 10 years as a firefighter. People say, why well, did you quit?
1: Right. That is a, Unbelievably insightful thought. It's crazy, and that's what I've. And then I didn't think that's why I balanced all this stuff off my friends and family. Am I doing the right thing? I don't even know. Am I a quitter? Am I a quitter? Am I giving up? Am I letting it get to me? So my pride was still there. It's like, how, am I am I letting the bad people win? <laughs> I think about all those write ups. Or I think of people like, oh, you're being too whatever. Did they win? Or did I not stay strong enough? And these are difficult internal debates to have. Especially when you're in a shitty relationship. So the first thing I did was I wasn't sure, but I I was living with the person at the time. I said, we're through. I'm not going to marry you. You seem like a nice person, but we are not going to work. And that did not go over well. And I had to leave And we had to do a bunch of stuff. But eventually, like two weeks, it was all settled. And she was out and I was back at the house. It was the first time where the darkness started to like, there's like a little sliver of something down the tunnel. And that's when it eventually started to turn a little bit. The clarity started to a little bit. All right, I need to get out. I'm going to get out. Mom, are you okay with this? Dad, are you okay with this? you guys okay with this? I explained in a much shorter form of (laughs) of communication that this is what I want to do. Everyone's like, yeah, if this is what you want to do, then do it. And I got out and I retired and I cashed my money out and then I went on the struggle bus again and I paid for nursing school and I worked at a shitty little ambulance company making $13 an hour. I was doing Uber (laughs) to just make sure I had extra money. My poor dogs were left at home like 10 hours a day for like five days a week. But, you know, the first day of nursing school, I was with Gold and I did it with um, a couple of other guys. And um, they went around the room and go, hey, tell us why you want to be a nurse. Everyone's like, oh, I want to help people and I want to do it. And they got to me. And I had this like pivotal moment and I was like, do I just say what I feel? I said, actually, I'm just trying to discover if I still have a soul. And everyone laughed and I wasn't, I wasn't laughing. (laughs) I genuinely didn't know if I still had anything in me and I don't think that I did at the time, but I just wanted to see if I still had something. I was giving myself like three to maybe the first semester and, uh, and then I just started to go back to the medicine part to do a call back to my EMT where I was like, Oh, medicine, that's cool. This is something I don't know a lot about. But I was being a paramedic, but that's a whole different dynamic than being a nurse, sort of. And then I did my bridge program for a year and I started to feel something again, I guess. And then I met a wonderful woman who's now my wife on Hinge, of all places. <laughs> I met Becky on Match, so yes, there Yes, hey, it works. It's our testimony. And then, you know, this... This is what started it was I was doing my clinicals at the cath lab at Osceola Regional and the director there was like, oh, you used to be a firefighter. And all this experience and all this turmoil and all this pain and all these calls and all this bullshit that looks great on a resume, but my brain is a fried piece of shit. All of this stuff I could lay out on paper to her told her I was worthy of a great job, And a $10,000 sign-on bonus and $40 an hour, which is unheard of as a first job for a nurse. She goes, well, you obviously know how to do the job. It's a little bit niche here, but I think you can do it. She goes, when you pass your NCLEX, come back to me and I'll give you a job. Wow. I was like, really? She goes, yeah, I think you'd be great. Because I did like four or five days there. Because you could pick a specialty and I wanted to do cardiology. I always felt like I was good at that stuff. And I went back and I... Passed my NCLEX by some grace of God because I school sucked. But I passed. Which school did you go through? Oh, am I. That's where they do all the EMT and medic stuff. But okay. they, had, they had a nursing program for three years. I was the second year. By the end of the third year, they lost their accreditation.
0: Yeah, there's a place in town, Taylor. That I, I started the first semester and immediately there were more red flags and a communist rally and I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> no.
1: it was, I, I was like, they basically said like, if you write a check, you'll pass. I didn't buy one book for school. I just relied on my laurels and Quizlet, and I said, "Let's just go." And my personality—I was like, "Hey, I'm fun," and they go, "Okay, we'll keep you around." And then (laughs) I'm
0: fun, and I have money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's a check, and I won't make it too miserable for you. Because I was getting selfishly—I was getting something out of it too. I was trying to figure out, like, do I can I fucking survive in this industry? Because I don't know much else. I mean, I can do other things, but this is what I like to do. I'm good at it. I can start an IV on anybody in the fucking universe. I can do it. But, and I know this stuff, but do I have it inside? And it took me a long time, but I found it and it's, there it is. And it's, it's not all the way back yet, but that was five years ago. And, and thank you to Christine for giving me that opportunity. Cause that was the first job and that set me off. And that was, that was five years ago. now I, so I do cath lab a little bit, not much anymore. I was there full time. And then something happened. And then the ER kind of like pulled me back. So I've been doing ER ever since.
0: So i
1: No, I'm all over the place. <coughs> I work, um, I float, I float for HCA and for, um, Advent. So I'm literally, I can work at like 30 different locations. I'm all over the place, but I like that. I like that variety. And every once in a while I catch myself feeling that same tug of burnout. Cause it's the same people. It's just a different environment. I work for 12 hours. I do my four rooms. It's all the same patients that are brought in from EMS or they walk in. It's the same thing. Like you go from here, you go to Tacoma, Washington, you go to Oklahoma, you go to Texas, you go to Massachusetts. It's all the same people. The dynamic's the same. But how do you approach it? How do you internally deal with this? And I come in. It's air conditioned. I wear pajamas. I do my four rooms. I take care of people and then I get the fuck out. And as soon as I cross the threshold of that door, everything that's behind me is gone. And then I move on. And then I go home to my wife. I go home to my family. But it was not an easy road because this is, for those who are in this situation, it is not an easy fix. It's not a pill you take and it's fixed. It's not like I just woke up one day and I'm like, oh, I'm all better. I was in like the deepest, darkest place and it took therapy, a lot of therapy. I'm still in therapy. It took a lot of self reflection, a lot of honesty, a lot of honest conversations. I've had some brutal conversations with some friends, not recently, thank God, but when I first got out, it's almost like when you're in a bad relationship, and then you get out of the relationship, and it was like, God, I can't believe you were with that chick. She was awful. I'm like, why don't you tell me fucking earlier? <laughs> but same sort of thing. Like, you are awful. You're a bad. You're a bad person. And when you have friends of yours who are 10, 15 years friends who are telling you that, that is, that hits really hard. Like, yeah, I sort of thought about not like being your friend anymore or communicating with you anymore. That is not easy to hear for someone who's like emotional like me. Like that is not, I'm a loyal friend. These are not easy fixes. It takes a long time. But just like anything else, if you want to write a book, if you want a big successful podcast. If you want to write a movie, you have to start. You have to start. Too many people think, I want, I want, I want, I want to. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You have to just start. It's five years down the
0: road. Like
1: you said, I still have trouble with sleeping. I had night terrors for a long time.
0: I'm not sure if you did. I had night terrors as a kid. And it's funny because when I look back now, as you see in the book, i Totally forgot until I wrote the book that I was in a house fire when I was four and I almost died. So that you for- forgot. Yeah, I forgot. Oh well, we we'll have to get into that. <laughs> Let me write that down. House <laughs> fire um, at four. But yeah, so I had nighttime. I was in a three-story farmhouse I grew up in. Wow. They kind of converted the roof too, so that was the third floor, and my bedroom was kind of on one side of the the house, so you know between the eaves. And one night, my mom and dad came into me screaming, halfway out the window. So I had bars on my windows in my bedroom because of my my, my night terrors, and they went all the way through. I remember my last night terror, and it was in Japan as a twenty, god, mid twenties man by that point. And but I was now with my my uh, previous wife, my son's mother. Mm-hmm. And I'd crawled into the kitchen and I think I'd grabbed a knife or something. <laughs> and That was the last one though. I think that moment something wow. clicked and I was like, I'm that's all it. right. I'm and I I'm I'm safe. But yeah, so I didn't as a firefighter, but I had them my whole childhood. That's crazy. Yeah, I
1: I, I never had that when I was a kid, but it was when I was in my deepest darkest places. That's where I started to have them. It was blurring the lines of reality and this nightmare world. That's really that sleep paralysis, that's where mine were the worst. Oh, okay. Where I I remember one distinctly. I was laying on the couch. It was nighttime. My girlfriend at the time was in bed. I'd fallen asleep on the couch, probably drunk. And the TV was on. And I remember laying there on my side. And there was this, just this figure that was walking very, it was like a, it was not a child, but it was child size. It was an adult, but it wasn't like a little person. It was like a real adult, but it was really weird. And it was just carrying this big stick thing and just slowly walking across. The TV, the light of the TV, and coming towards me. And you know, obviously, when you're in dream- your dreams, you know things about the scenario. Even though no one's saying anything and there's no script. Yeah. You just know things. I knew this thing was coming to kill me because I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. So I'm laying there, and I can't speak, and I can't move. And this things coming towards me, and I'm trying to scream. Myself awake because I know it's not real, but I think it is real. I know this thing's going to kill me. This is what things. This is what this job does to you. By the <laughs> way, you're welcome, everyone. This is great. And eventually, after like thirty seconds, I was able to kind of make enough noise that my girlfriend came and woke me up. But it took. She said it took her like ten seconds of like shaking me to like come all the way out. That is not a fun place to be in, and I had those. Recurrently for a long, long time, maybe once a week, which is not great
0: at all. No, especially when you have it in a dorm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rubio had those. Yeah, he used to him screaming at night.
1: Screaming. And I, and I knew this was – your brain – I know you've probably covered this a billion times on the show. Your brain is so infinitely powerful, and it'll beat you to death if you don't take good care of it. And I was not taking good care of it. And this is obvious to me that I'm having... This is some... There's demons that need to come out. And I don't think you can unring the bell of trauma. The trauma bell rings and it goes. And you can't... Because when I was in my first therapy thing, they were trying to talk about resolving trauma. I was like, I don't... I challenged them. I was like, I don't think you can resolve trauma. I think you have to manage and figure it out and maybe come to terms with it. I don't like the word resolve because resolve has a finality to it.
0: It's like it's forgive, not forget. Right. You you can process it. Correct. But I'm always going to see that blanket over decapitated three-year-old. I mean, that's seared into my mind.
1: I'm going to have that smell of that child in the microwave. I can't resolve that. The bell has been rung. So let's go to stage four. Peace, resolution, finding a plateau that you're happy with. Because I think when you first get in the game, I'm making hand movements, but your wavelength is like this. It's way up, way down, way up, way down. It's very extreme movements, and the human body has a lot of trouble handling that. You know, it's like it's like going through. Imagine being on an airplane. I was making an airplane reference. If you get on a on a flight from here to Alaska. It's like it's an eight hour flight and the whole flight, you're going from 10,000 feet to 30,000 feet, 10,000 feet to 30,000 feet. Like you you can't handle that. The plane can't handle it. You can't handle it. And then eventually the plane's going to crash. That's what happens. Or it's going to get really close to crashing. And if you're lucky, you can find a way to pull out of the dive. And that's where the, okay, so we're going to pull out of this dive. A lot of people crash and are not heard from again. In whatever way you want to say it, they kill themselves. They drink themselves into an oblivion. They change careers and just don't care. Never deal with it. They crash and burn. They're done. But maybe, just maybe, you can pull back and you can get yourself out of that dive. And instead of going 20,000 to 50,000 to whatever, you can find a way to get the plane level. It may not be perfect. There's gonna be a little bit of damage to the wings, or there's gonna be a little bit of turbulence along the way. At least the light, the plane's flying <laughs> to your destination. I think that's where where I'm at. Is that my plane's a little haggard? <laughs> it's a little old. <laughs> it's a little beat up, but I'm flying. I'm okay with that. And that's that's the fourth stage. Is like okay. I'm just gonna cruise this out for, for a while. I'll manage any problems that come along, but I've been, do I've, you see what I was through already? I think that's where I'm at. And that's a difficult place to get to eventually. But like I said, for those who are in this area, it's not a quick fix. I know you can attest to that. I mean, well, how, it's, it, may, it may be permanent.
0: To use a, a medical reference that I love, whether it's, the health of a relationship whether it's your mental health whether it's overcoming an addiction mm. i like your analogy because it reminds me of trending you know we True. might we might have someone that goes suddenly into vtac and we convert and then they go all brady and then we manage to bring them back up mm. but if ultimately you start seeing vitals getting better and better and better and better mm-hmm. then you and I will be okay. This is, <laughs> they, they made us use a lot of the drug box, but we're headed in the right direction. Conversely, it can be the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And that's how I see, especially things like addiction. People will beat themselves up. Well, fuck, I drank last night. Mm-hmm. It's all over. Well, I'm a piece of shit. No, you have your ups and your downs. You have your good days and you have your days where you know something happened and you ended up cracking open a bottle and it, it's okay. Look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Forgive yourself. You only have today, get back wherever you were. It doesn't negate the one day or twelve months that you weren't drinking prior. Right. It's where are you trending? So, you know, let's say that the plane wants to gently ascend to forty thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're back on that trajectory and you've gone up to, you know, twenty five and then dipped down to twenty <laughs> and then Twenty-seven. You're, you're still a, making progress. You're still getting there, and I think that's a big part too, with that guilt and that shame that factors so much into mental ill health. You know, you shouted at your kids or your wife. Okay, you you were an asshole that day. Go it's buy her some flowers. Apologize. Say, hey, can we go all go to the, the beach tomorrow? You know, whatever it is, it's not the end of the world. I think it's that's not. a big thing. Understand how. This job is set, just sets you up to fail. It sounds extreme, but it is the way we do the fire it's service right true. now. Totally. You are doomed from day one to be the best version of yourself. And I think that's what we need to start creating is an environment for our responders yeah. to thrive. That's not today, unless you're very lucky and you're working a 2472 or some of these great gold standard shift patterns that should be out there.
1: Yeah, was New York does the 1212 rotation thing, but they I
0: think they combine it to 24, you know, but then they'll do. Twenty four seventy two, which, is the, know, way which be. is the way it should be. I yep. think there's one place I'm going to get the I think one of their guys on in Florida. It's about to switch from Bo- 20- Boca. I think Boca does it. it, and this was uh, I think it was Boynton Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, that's to me what we need to go. But but so in the meantime, understanding that you are in an environment that's setting you up for failure. Yep. You have to give yourself forgiveness, you know? Use those fucking sick days. No one's going to give you a medal because you've got X amount in the bank. No one gives a no fuck. One gives, no one gives a shit. But your family do because they see you less. Use those days, mm-hmm. you know? And then advocate not for that 50% pay raise, advocate for that extra day off. Mm-hmm. Because we we screw ourselves and we say, oh, we work one day on, two days off. No, you work three days on, one day off. Three eight-hour days crammed together, as we said, that day two you've already worked seven or eight hours, yep. and then you have that singular day off of which the whole day you're thinking, "Fuck, I've got ready for to get it ready for tomorrow." It's a horrible, horrible system, you know. And we say, "Oh, you work ten days a month." No, you work thirty days a month. Yep,
1: uh, totally. And 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 any any department that doesn't have Kelly days is is a joke. Yeah. I mean these these things are implanted for a reason.
0: And even Kelly days suck because you're still doing 24-48 it should be twenty four seventy two. and then people are like oh but we can't you know what about the money look at these departments that do it how much money they save by you not creating lawsuits by you not being off on mental health issues physical health issues injuries workman's comp you know all these things but it's someone's you you'd job save hand over fist
1: it's, it's someone's job to kibosh these ideas though
0: because um, they want to look good that budget year they want. They want to get the Christmas bonus. I don't know where we lost the
1: the lost our way with everything is just a Excel spreadsheet byline, and we just sort of forgot everybody. It's really sad. And I and 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 like you said, for those who do this job, you you are literally making a sacrifice. Anyone who's a first responder, military. Even corrections, all these people who do this dispatch, dispatch. You are making a sacrifice to know that you are exposing yourself to a different universe. You are taking the other pill. You are taking the red pill, which are one of the ones goes to the real place, the matrix. But
0: I think the blue pill is for boners, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Blue pill, hard
1: dick, red pill, fucked up place. So, but you're, you're taking that pill. And I think people underestimate how, how down the rabbit hole that goes. And you have to be prepared. Because you have to be able to pull yourself out of that dive. It's going to happen eventually. Unless you are super prepared. But um, most people aren't. And it's okay to admit that you're not. That's the thing. You're okay to admit that you're not okay. And that's that's a whole other part that we're going to do on, on my show. Um, so, yeah. So, I am I'm, I'm in a good place. And I'm glad that you that you let me come on your show and talk about all this stuff. It's, it's, it's very... Um, I try to talk about it on my show because I think a lot of people don't believe how bad it can be, because it's not it's not in the mainstream. We talk about all these other things in the world that don't fucking matter, but there's uh, so many people out there who don't know the realities of the universe and what happens with the people who keep your day safe and keep your day basically like worry free. If you really think about it.
0: Mm-hmm. 100% just pick up the phone dial three numbers and someone will come someone shows up. And unfuck your life
1: and that goes wildly unappreciated uh, it's 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 very disturbing for me that, that it does so I I appreciate you doing your show and and you putting that spotlight out there and and those who have the nonprofits and those people who help out I mean like freedom service dogs they get the dogs to the veterans and all these different groups but then again you can hear all these other groups who are stealing money and that sucks too but um, but I think it's, I think it's a really important <clears throat> cause that we cannot take lightly for forever at this point because yeah. it's like, it's, it's us versus the people who hire us now, which sucks, right? Like they're now predators in my eyes to a certain
0: point. Absolutely. And just, they, just they, down the line, these are two guys talking that don't work in this profession anymore. Right? So we could just walk away and go, Oh, well. Tough, you know, tough luck for you guys. No, we care about it so much that we continue to talk about it, even though we're not wearing the uniform anymore. That's how strongly I feel about the preventative element of all these funerals that we go to. Too many, you know. And the thing is, it's not about you know, oh, these poor firefighters. It's so hard. No, we walked in knowing it was going to be tough. We know we're going to have to lug hose and carry bodies and climb stairs and cut people out of cars and all that stuff. What is completely preventable is that you do it in an environment that sets people up for failure. What should happen is that they should have at minimum the same work week as the person who bags your groceries in Publix, if not an even shorter work week, because you've asked them to get up at three in the morning, do a primary search, pull out a child and then work a PD code on them. And yet you work them basically double the hours per week for any understaffed department where we get mandatory all the time. Mm and yet expect them to be high performers and then you'll go which is totally impossible yeah and you'll turn your tv and your professional athletes that you admire and you bought all their shirts with their name on god forbid that they miss a night's sleep but the person that might save your child's life you're absolutely fucking fine with being worked into the ground you know because oh and then you know you maybe salute on top of a bridge one time when my casket goes by because i've fucking died right. you know what i mean it's just it's so unacceptable i think that's what's powerful about this conversation is neither of us wear the uniform no. and, and, and I, we care about the people so much that we want to fix it regardless
1: and i see it and i'm gonna maybe piss some people off and i don't really care you're on but the this. right
0: show carry on
1: <laughs> all right guys listen if you're a firefighter or you're a medic or you're an emt or you're a cop please Please, please stop being an Instagram first responder. It drives me fucking crazy. I do not like, and I don't care what anyone says, I do not like that they take photos inside burnt houses I've after said house the same thing. It drives me fucking crazy. Stop doing it. That is someone's house, someone's home. Home. That is their property. And you're using it for fucking likes and justification. Take your fucking uniform off and go home. Stop doing it for attention you're doing it for the wrong reasons i don't want to see you inside the truck i don't want to see you on the rescue i don't want to say that shit i'm guilty of it i used to be guilty of it i was an idiot i look back and go you guys look fucking stupid stop doing it i know you guys are prideful but do it on your own time and do it somewhere else
0: but take pictures of training take pictures of of fire hose something constructive workouts but some, yeah, something constructive. Don't please. take a picture of the wreck that someone's son might be in that up mangle car. Don't be leaning on your pike pole in front of someone's kitchen where there was a fridge with all their child's art and it's all been burnt and gone away. And someone, people ask me, oh, have you got some pictures of you in the fire service? I have like five. Yeah, I have this, there's a little, you know, like piece of paper size frame that my um my previous wife actually and i think there's like three actual firefighters of a 14-year career and it's not like oh james wow that's so impressive no it's just i was running calls like being present oh let <laughs> me get my camera out was not on my mind when i was driving the back of a tiller truck on the way to a fire or whatever oh hashtag structure fire lol if i if, if i if i continue to see that
1: i'm gonna start calling them on individually it's bad for the profession it makes you look dumb and it, it's obvious you're doing it for reasons that are not constructive.
0: Well, you said profession. It's not professional. It's not
1: professional at all. To
0: do exactly what you said, but I love seeing pictures, you know, videos and pictures of you training. I love seeing like if a, if a news story takes a picture of you guys while you're working, mm-hmm. that's even the helmet cam stuff, super educational. There's productive. a lot of good stuff from it's that. Productive. Yeah.
1: I've even seen stuff. Where it's like, Oh, it's someone's birthday and we're going to throw cake in their face. That's fine. That's, that's even a little bit, yeah. but like stop taking pictures inside of burnt homes. Or tearing shirts. Listen guys, I know it's fun and I know you think it's cool. It makes you look stupid. But you can
0: it? do it without filming it. That's the thing. They're not saying don't do it. I yeah, mean, just it, don't put it on social media. Not the place for it. Glorify it.
1: It's like it's like donating to, to to um to charity. I don't do charity. I don't go on every fucking place and post that I I donate to charity. I do it silently. Except right now, I'm telling you, how to do I get assurity. a friend of mine to Blake, film
0: me when I give a homeless person five <laughs> dollars, and then we'll follow him. How's he going to spend that five dollars?
1: Oh, thank God, <laughs> he got a sunny d. But like, it's like, I, we, it's not part of it. I know we're sitting here as two podcasters who create a lot of content. We're trying to do it for a purposeful reason. What about TikToks? TikToks totally fine. <laughs> if you want to do a dance on top of a dead heroin body <laughs> on a mattress behind a dollar, a family dollar, for, do it. That's it's hilarious. I just don't get it and stop doing it. I, I, It drives me insane. I know a lot of other people feel that way, but they're afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say it. Stop doing it. It's, it's, it's like it's counterproductive. And you can tell. I can see people who I used to work with, and I'm like, this person's not well. Something's going on. They're too self-absorbed. They're too whatever. Um, like I said, I was guilty of a long time ago. I just... Just try to get that not there. Just do it quietly.
0: Narcissism is another red flag. Totally. You know what I mean? That's, totally. that's when if you're posting all the time and, you know, I see this and I'm not mocking, but I see, you know, especially some of my female friends. Oh, yeah. The geez. moment they're taking pictures of themselves with quotes about strong women. That's when I call them and say, are you okay? Yeah. What's because up? that's the polar opposite of what's actually going on. Right, And that's not mocking. I mean, it, it's, I guess social media is a good way of checking on your friends because if you start seeing stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, your friends constantly, folk, you know, videoing himself benching, like, okay, why are you projecting masculinity right now? What's right. going on? You know? And then,
1: yeah, too many times I'm like, listen, I, I know that you're trying to put a certain persona out there, but it's a little bit red flag. It's like, it's like when marriages, like if I see someone goes like, I love my wife so much and she does this. And I see like that 10 times in a week. I'm like, oop, they're on the brink of divorce. Mm-hmm. Something's going on there. It's true. I mean, I celebrate my wife's birthday. I'm like, look at my, my wife's amazing. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. But like, if I see like 10 in a row after nothing, that is, if, yeah, yeah. If I haven't talked to them, if there's nothing and they go on some trip and it's like 400 posts or 400 story entries. And I'm like, Oh, boy, they're in trouble. (laughs) You can just sort of tell. But some of these people, I can tell that they're trying to escape the reality of what's happening on their day-to-day at work. And they're trying to make it justified. They're trying to get a little bit of attention. But my my main message here, stop taking pictures out of burnt buildings. It's someone's home. Like I said, it's not great. Not a great look. Not good for the brand. Just saying, so that's my eyes. Well, I'll
0: throw some truth bombs out there too. Please. Growing a mustache and buying a leather helmet does not make you a firefighter. Nope. Smooth bore and all types of nozzles, basically, will put out fire if you yep. use water. It's water. The European helmets are better than the ones designed in 1930. Biased fuck. I hate to tell you. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Sometimes it's good to hit it hard from the yard if it's a vacant yep, warehouse and totally. you don't want to lose a bunch of firefighters. What else? Getting on roof is safe if you combine it with a you know an aggressive interior attack. And you um, have
1: experienced people who know what they're doing yeah, up there.
0: And they do use lightweight construction on the East Coast and the West Coast? What other what other myths? <laughs> <where>? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we're bashing, but I don't think we're
1: not. I think that we look at it from a perspective like, like I said, we went through that. We went through those that that plane ride. And I think that industry is so infinitely Full of purpose, and and there's so much there potential to to change the narrative of cops and firemen or any position of authority you want to say.
0: But man, do we shoot ourselves in the foot a lot? Pistol grips—you can hold the hose with a pistol grip, and the fire still goes <laughs> it still out. Still too. goes out.
1: That's the thing. We have we have <laughs> these tools. We have this ability to be amazing and and have a perfect job. It it used to be the perfect job. And we have fucked it to death. And I don't know where we lost track of it, but it starts with the people and it starts with the relationships and it starts with making sure that everyone's okay. I've worked with some amazing lieutenants. I've worked with some dog shit lieutenants. I've worked with amazing chiefs. I've worked with some dog shit chiefs. I'll remember the good ones, but even more so I'll remember the bad ones because they told me, they taught me what not to do and how not to lead. Don't look at everyone in a white shirt as, a, as a, someone that you're going to like learn from, or maybe you should, but learn good and learn bad. How many bad leaders have you had? A million, right? Yes, especially the last five years of my career. Totally. I've had very few where I'm like, if that guy told me to run through that burning building right there and I'd be okay, I'll do it. If a guy told me to like flick on a light switch, I wouldn't do it. I don't trust him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Reggie Price, great leader. I great love that chief. guy. Yeah, when he uh, said that, go do that, you go, yeah. Okay, whatever. On it. So, like
1: John, same thing, like, whatever you want, it's fine. I'll Never. do it.
0: Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, uh, okay, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done right now. <laughs> well, I want to hit one more area before we, we close out. Um, a theme that I seem to get a lot from people that have successfully transitioned out. Chris Booth is another perfect example, mm-hmm. is those men and women. Kind of had a realization that you can take the skills you got from the fire service and apply it elsewhere. And obviously medic to nurse is a more obvious through line. Mm-hmm. Chris ended up being an incredibly successful realtor. I mean, there's all these things. Um, but so getting people to understand and be empowered that you don't, you're not doomed to go teach in a fire academy the rest of your life. If you transition out the other skill set, but also the autonomy piece for me, I don't know how it was for you when i when I told him that shift, I'm I'm done. Actually, you know, my last place, I, I was rehabbing a knee injury. And I was cleared for duty. And that's when I put in my retirement. Right. <laughs> I never went back. <laughs> but um, exquisite the, timing. <laughs> the weight off my shoulders then sure. was amazing. And I didn't get medical retirement or anything. I didn't. No, I full good. duty cleared. And I was like, I'm just going to retire on my own terms. Um, but the autonomy. Mm-hmm. I always thought you and I are riding on a rescue. It's you and me going up OBT, you know, two in the morning, all the prostitutes and, you know, whoever's waving to us and swinging their dicks at us it, too. It happens. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, you feel like, wow, you know, we're in charge of our own destiny. But yep. then you take a step back and you're like, I'm told how to shave. I'm told what to wear. I'm told when to be here. I'm told when to leave. I'm told which vehicle to go on. I'm told when to do target solutions, when to check hydrants, blah, 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 blah. And you realize that actually there's not a lot of autonomy, <laughs> even though when we show up on a call, we, that crew, We're still bound by certain yeah, rules and regulations. But, but you know, at that moment, you are that person's world. Yeah, but sure. in your own world, you're actually bound by a lot. And the more bureaucracy and micromanagement there is in your department, the worse it gets. So did you find the moment you took control of your relationship and then ultimately your career path – that refinding your autonomy also was a healing part of your journey.
1: Yeah, because when I first started at the fire department, like I said, I was still a lost soul. I was still figuring a lot of stuff out about myself. But the one thing the fire department taught me, and I'll credit um, like the 51A guys, I'm not sure if they're still on A ship, like Donnie Krantz and Hansen and all those guys. Um, the one thing that I, there's a couple of lessons, well, a lot of lessons they taught me, Omar Rodriguez, uh, was I, I had a bad. History with dads and male, you know, authority figures. I just didn't respond well to it, obviously, because of my history of, you know, whatever. Um, what they taught me was hey, like, you have to figure out how to be a man. I didn't realize how down the road I was of, like, not being a, an autonomous male. I was still, like, scared of, like, the truth. And I was still scared of, like, talking to people in a certain way. Like one thing, like, for instance, like when I'm learning to be a fireman, they go, what's the tire pressure of the engine? And I'm like, um, I think it's like, uh, they go, stop. Stop. You don't know. Just say you don't know. Go find out. I didn't even know how to communicate like that. So the autonomy part was learning, first of all, how to tell the truth a lot. Because someone asked you a question. That's another golden rule of the fire department. Someone asked you a question. They already know the answer. So,
0: I had to learn that part of it. Either you give them the answer or you say, I don't know, sir. I'm going to go find, find out.
1: out. You can't bullshit a bullshit. And those guys, and now us, are total black belts in bullshitting. You cannot get anything past me. I won't buy it.
0: Because if you asked them the day before they checked, they wouldn't be able to tell you either. So, they literally probably just went by the engine, and crouched looked right down, at looked, it. looked yep. at yep. it. Exactly. Because that's not something you're going to walk totally. around, and you know, unless on, you're an engineer. And they do
1: that on purpose. But- it's learning to trust yourself and integrity. Like you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. Yes, we are a team and we are going to do stuff together, but it's only as weak as it's it's only as strong as, as as weakest link. We don't want anyone to be weak here. And that was like that thing where like you sort of stand up a little bit straighter and you're like, yeah, like I can do this. It was that integrity, and it was that like I said, the autonomy of the self confidence of okay. I can do this. I can do this. And they sort of teach you in a Jedi mind way of saying like, you suck at this, but they're sort of secretly telling you like you suck at it, but we see like you could probably be good at it, but they don't say that part. They just keep telling you, you suck at it, but they keep working with you and they keep going over and over and over and over over it. And I didn't realize that by them dedicating their time to me, whether it was 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour, that that was their investment in me. Okay, you suck at this. Let's do it again. I did not realize that the let's do it again was a massive thing. They're like, that's them saying we see potential in you. Just keep going. Let's do it again. Because I've seen them say, "Um, you suck at this, and then they walk away. And I used to see that when I got to be experienced, I'm like, oh, they don't like this guy, like, at all. And we, then we talk, like, oh, this guy sucks. Fuck him. So when I realized that they were trying to invest in me, and then I was able to stand up a little straighter and work a little harder, and they would joke around with me a little bit more, and then it was like, okay, you're okay with this. You're okay. As a matter of fact, why don't you teach us something? And then you start to see the evolution of the relationship, and that gives you the self-confidence That gives you the integrity. That gives you the autonomy. And when you learn those building blocks, that I will never forget. I learned those in the fire department that I did not have prior to. I was a weak, weak boy. And I came out a stronger man. Not the strongest man, obviously. (laughs) Like I had a lot of fucking problems. But I wouldn't have been able to get through all that without those building blocks. All that shit that I talked about before It sucked, but it's the only reason I am where I am now. It's crazy. If Christine wouldn't have seen all that experience on that resume, I wouldn't have been a nurse or been struggling to work on some med surge floor, but I got some fucking cool-ass job. Sometimes you got to dig through the shit to get to the sunlight, you know, like in Shawshank Redemption. You got to go through a mile of piss and shit to to get freedom, and that's sort of what this was. So yeah, you asked me, was there a certain point? Yeah, when I broke up with that last girl and I started to see a little bit of that light at the end of the tunnel, I had to reach down pretty deep and I had some of those tools that were given to me, those emotional tools that were given to me by those guys, Jedi mind style, subconsciously, that like, you suck at this, but like, just do it again. Just, you suck at it, just do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And that's what I did. I did it as many times as I possibly could, and then I fucking somehow emerged out of it. It's crazy. So yeah. So yeah, that was that was my moment of clarity. Um, but like I said, it's still it's still a work in progress, and it's going to be for the foreseeable future. So.
0: So I'm sure people listening, you know, people that we work with probably want to reconnect with you, Um, people that don't know you at all. Where are the best places online to find you and to follow your podcast?
1: I'm easy. Uh, The Judgmental Gentleman uh, is the pod. You can find that anywhere. There's no E in Judgmental. I had to really tinker with that. So Judgmental Gentleman. Uh, I'm at Mikey Talks A Lot on Instagram. And yeah, you'll see me on Facebook, Michael Tanzer. But I, I, all I do on there is just post about the show and all that stuff. So, yeah, and I, hopefully I'll have one of these books soon. You've inspired me. Good. I'm uh, t- at number two, so you better hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I got to catch up. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Well, I just want to say thank you, man. Oh, no, it's, thank
0: it's, you. It's been an amazing conversation. We chatted for two hours. Two hours? Yep wow you, time flies when you're having fun that's amazing but well, uh, i hope everyone lasted this long thank you guys for listening i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i just want to say thank you i mean there's it's such a unique perspective of someone who you know not only was in the fire service but we literally you know were yeah. side by side yeah. but also like myself you got to a point your journey was a slightly different but you know i think it's important for people to hear that you can decide to transition out the fire service regardless of when a pension tells you you should leave yeah. and forge a brand new path for yourself and still be extremely successful
1: yeah it's been great i, I yeah it's it was not the easiest road but it was it's, it's great thank you